so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. So there will be a whole horse, horse. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me on this Thanksgiving week episode of the ERLC podcast is Brent Leatherwood in his Atlanta Braves World Champions hoodie. That's right. I just needed to give them a visual. Well, you should. And I I mean, we need continual reminders that the Braves are world champions. And so my wardrobe today is is doing that. Well, because and because there's there's really not many people here in the old SBC building on this Thanksgiving. A lot of folks are checking out early. Yes, hit the roads as because as should. we're going to talk about travel is up to nearly pre COVID nineteen levels. Yes, so we're we're going to talk about that. Well, I just traveled this past weekend and it was busy. Um, but you know, before we move on, I just wanted to say that this Thanksgiving week, I know that one of the things you are most thankful for, Brent Leatherwood, is your co-host. Is that true? True yep. story? You and, and all the <laughs> awkward conversations that come with you. Yes. <laughs> what would life be without the awkward? You just have to embrace it. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Embrace the awkward. Embrace the awkward pause. Well, embrace the awkward, yes. Well, on that awkward note, I'm going to awkwardly transition into what we're talking about this week at the ERLC. You know, we're kicking off the Thanksgiving season, the Christmas season, and most importantly, Advent. And so I'll be sharing an article about that soon. But what comes along with the holiday season is stress. So first up, I have an article by Sarah Rayner titled, How the Overwhelmed Mom Can Start to Reduce Stress, Nine Tips to Living Freely Within God's Limitations. And Sarah has her master's and doctorate degrees in clinical psychology. She has experience with counseling and obviously with this subject matter. And as believers, sometimes it may seem like we overlook stress because we think, oh, this sounds too self-helpy. I need to not be concerned with myself. I need to put others' interests above my own. And that is very true. But you can't put others' interests above your own, especially with the topic of this article about moms and taking care of their children. You can't take care of your children well if you are breaking down physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually because of stress. So, Sarah addresses this. She gives some warning signs and indicators of stress in our lives. And she reminds us that God has created us with limitations. And she gives some tips on how to embrace those limitations and learn to rest in the midst of those limitations by leaning on God's strength at work in us. 
Next up, I have an article by Jared Kennedy, and it's titled Countdown to Christmas with these six resources for Advent. I love compiled lists during this time of year, book lists, top article lists, and I love Advent resources. And I think you will find this helpful. Jared actually has, um, he has a link within this article to one a similar article that he did last year, but it has different resources. So there will be a whole host of things that you can check out and look at and see if they will fit you as an individual or your family to be able to count down to Christmas and be prepared for celebrating the first coming of our Savior. One of the resources that Jared puts in there is by a friend of the podcast, Dr. Scott James, uh, down in Birmingham, Alabama. Y'all may remember we had him on at the uh, beginning of the COVID pandemic to just kind of answer some basic questions, and he was just full of all kinds of great information uh, to prepare for COVID-19 and answer some basic questions. Well, what many people may not realize is that Scott is also a teaching elder at his church, and Scott loves to write uh, books, and particularly books that are really accessible for children. And he's got a book coming out, The Expected One, Anticipating Jesus in All of Advent, that's published by our friends over at B&H Publishing at Lifeway. And Jared writes, this is the perfect resource. These revised and updated daily devotions, which can be used by both families and individuals, are meaningful and doable reminders of the true gift of Christmas. And, and I'm just so thankful when uh, we have talented friends just like uh, Scott who are, are helping to write resources that families can use in this very important time of year. Well, and that's one of the things that's especially cool about our digital age, which we talk about a lot, that is the access to resources that we get, the access to these incredible tools that help us to grow in our walk with the Lord, that open our eyes to see God's glory all the more. I mean, you just think about it, and no other time in history did believers have resources to study God's Word and learn more about Him right at the tips of their fingers. And so we are very thankful for that. And we're thankful for Jared compiling this list. And then finally, I wanted to share an article because it is Thanksgiving. And so we want to talk about what we are thankful for. And this article is by our very own Brent Leatherwood, my wonderful, he paid me to say that, co-host. And it is titled, Why I'm Thankful for Southern Baptists. And Brent, I'll let you tell listeners a little bit more about that. Well, this is a week of Thanksgiving, and and certainly we want to talk about our heart at the RLC is uh, to talk about how grateful we are uh, for the sacrificial giving of Southern Baptists and the ways that you all have allowed us as an entity to partner with your local church, your local uh, associations, your state conventions, and and our fellow entities. Uh, and so that's really what this is about. And, you know, our friend uh, Dan Darling, he recently is talking about the need for a resurgence in gratitude in our culture. And and so, of course, I mean, I totally agree with that. And I, I think there are a lot of good arguments out there to talk about how conservatism, which probably most of our audience would subscribe to kind of a conservative worldview, at its heart, conservatism is about gratitude. That's a lesson that uh, Yuval Levin has has been trying to, to tell folks. And I think that's true. And so we need to cultivate this sense of gratitude. And what better week 
then the week of Thanksgiving uh, to just express our gratitude to our fellow uh, Southern Baptists who uh, allow us to do the the great work that we are privileged to do each and every day. So yeah, I'm just hoping that this piece just kind of appropriately captures uh, the spirit of all of us here at the RLC. Right, and we wouldn't get to do our work if it weren't for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, our fellow Southern Baptists. And we are linked arm in arm with you listeners. And again, our brothers and sisters are forever family. And so we are thankful to be able to do the work that we do together with you for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor. You know, as I always say, we have a bunch of other resources on our site. I especially want to remind you to continue to check back throughout the Thanksgiving and Christmas season because we will have those Advent resources and those articles that are particularly catered to the holiday season and the things that we walk through and how, as believers, we can do that well and faithfully. But for now, Brent, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Moving into our culture section this week, Brent, what's been happening? Sure. So since we are recording earlier in the week, it's a it's a little bit of an abbreviated session, if you will, for this special Thanksgiving edition podcast, because I feel like I was just with you recording our last episode. Yeah. What, it wasn't too long ago. It wasn't too long ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's start off with— And every day with you, Brent, feels like a week. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so let's just start off. Actually, this first story is about what is happening next week. Uh, so this comes from the Associated Press. Conflict over abortion laws won't abate if Roe versus Wade falls. So this is kind of a preview story from the AP uh, looking at next week's oral arguments in the uh, Dobbs Uh, Supreme Court case. So from the story, on both sides of America's abortion debate, activists are convinced that Roe v. Wade, the 1973 Supreme Court ruling establishing a nationwide right to abortion, is imperiled as never before. Yet no matter how the current conservative-dominated court handles pending high-profile abortion cases, perhaps weakening Roe, perhaps gutting it completely, there will be no monolithic nationwide change. Fractious state-by-state battles over abortion access will continue. Roe's demise would likely prompt at least 20 Republican-governed states to impose sweeping bans, and perhaps 15 Democratic-governed states would reaffirm support for abortion access. The net effect on abortion prevalence is difficult to predict, given that many people in states with bans would persist in seeking to terminate unwanted pregnancies. Some could face drives of hundreds of miles to reach the nearest clinic, and others might obtain abortion pills by mail to end a pregnancy on their own. Brent, this is a huge case that Christians in particular are looking at closely, that we're watching and we're prayerfully hoping goes the way that we would want it to so that abortion is no longer the law of the land. And we actually filed a brief in this case, and we have some articles on our site about this that we will link to. Because the arguments start, the oral arguments start December 1st, we will have content for you next week to help you understand exactly what's been happening, how the oral arguments turned out. We'll have some explainers. And then... um 
I wanted you to know as well that we have content that talks about the opportunity that will be before Christians if Roe is overturned and abortion is no longer the law of the land. Because as friends of ours and colleagues of ours have said, the work is not ended then. It has only just begun. The church will be called to be a support for uh, these families, for these vulnerable mothers, for these vulnerable children, um, for adoption, for foster care, for material support. So we have to gear up because There will be a lot of work before us to ensure that these babies and their moms and their families are taken care of. That's right. That's right. Anybody who thinks, and we've we've tried to say this in any number of forums, anyone who thinks that the Supreme Court taking this opportunity to overrule Roe v. Wade, you know, that like somehow we've reached the end. No, in fact, we our work will just have begun at the state level. So this is absolutely what we've this needs to happen. I mean, we 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 are urging the Supreme Court justices to utilize this once in a generation opportunity to overturn Roe v. Wade and the Casey decision that further kind of enshrined uh, the right to an abortion. Uh, we have asked the court to overturn both of those cases. But we need to get ready because if if that happens, and you know, as it said in this AP article, there are people from you know both sides of the philosophical divide on this who think, man, Roe v. Wade may may actually go down. If that happens, it's a moment to celebrate, but it's just a moment because then, like, we need to roll up our sleeves and get ready for conversations at the state level and and continuing to appeal to elected officials that the dignity of preborn children matter in their backyards, in their states, where probably more work is going to need to be done. So this is a big moment. Uh, we would ask uh, that, that you all go ahead and, and please be praying uh, for these oral arguments. Pray for the Attorney General from Mississippi who is presenting the case uh, for why the justices should go ahead and, and overrule Roe. Pray for, for the justices, uh, for wisdom for them to, for them to ask uh, good questions and, and receive uh, helpful uh, responses uh, from, from the attorneys. So th- this is a big moment. I'm, I'm flying up to Washington next week. We're going to have several members of the team there. And uh, go check out SBC This Week. Uh, which is hosted by our friends uh, Jonathan Howe and Amy Whitfield. They have a special edition that will be released uh, next week in preparation uh, for the Dobbs or argument. So we sat down and recorded the podcast with them to just kind of help the wider uh, Southern Baptist family understand uh, how big of a moment this is in the pro-life movement. So check out SBC this week, next week. Okay, moving on. NBC News is reporting this, the Biden administration to tap oil reserves in a bid to tamp down rising gas prices. The Biden administration is taking the rare step of releasing oil from the nation's strategic petroleum reserve in an effort to address rising gas prices ahead of the holiday season, the White House said in a statement on Tuesday. As part of the move, the Department of Energy will make available 50 million barrels of oil to lower prices and address the mismatch between consumer demand and supply amid the pandemic that has driven prices to their highest levels in seven years, the White House said. The action, which has been in the works for several weeks, comes amid growing concern within the White House about inflation as prices rise on everything from fuel to Thanksgiving turkeys. 
So we went out and bought our turkey over the weekend, Lindsay, and those are some pricey birds. They uh, were, you could tell that they were more uh, expensive? They were definitely some pricey birds, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, but the, they're the least expensive of the meat that you could have for Thanksgiving, right? I Turkey, mean, the, we're not having filet mignon. Well, I mean, we know someone who probably oh, is. We did, yeah, yeah. Our former co-worker. That's right. Meat and potatoes. That's it. That's all he has. Uh, <laughs> and our current co-worker, Bobby Reed, who was talking <laughs> oh, about <laughs> how, how he uh, doesn't, he does not appreciate uh, any sort of green, uh, green on, on, food, his, right. on his Thanksgiving plate. <laughs> uh, but no, it's just, I mean, it, it is, the reality is, we talked about this a few weeks ago, inflation is certainly uh, causing prices to rise and uh, a number of folks are probably feeling that in their pocketbooks uh, or wallets. And so it's, it's a reality uh, for this holiday season, no doubt. You know, we haven't even gone shopping yet. So I am, uh, I'm hoping that we're still going to be able to have Thanksgiving, a traditional Thanksgiving meal. If not, my husband said the alternative is we're going to go pick up some Cracker Barrel food, which that's not too bad in and of itself. He actually said that's the best Thanksgiving food he's ever had, which I don't know if I should be offended by or what. But it will be interesting to see how expensive Thanksgiving travel, et cetera, turns out to be for people. I'm glad that uh, because we have two small kids, we have said, uh, sorry, we are staying home. What I do want to know is how expensive it will be to heat our home this year. Now, because as we've talked about on previous podcasts, we keep our house at like 64, 65. Which is it nuts. It shouldn't be that so expensive nuts. for us. That is nuts. You will be eating beans and rice for your whole winter because you keep your house at like 78. <laughs> I don't keep it at 78, you, but I definitely— walk around in bathing suits well, in your house I, in the well, But y'all walk around at parkas in the, in the Nicolay household. Yeah, but we can afford our heating bill, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, so sticking with NBC News and on a slightly more serious uh, note, probably all of us witnessed the horrific— incident that occurred at a uh, Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Uh, So NBC News is reporting on this. The suspect accused of driving into that parade has a lengthy record. Milwaukee prosecutors admitted Monday that they had requested inappropriately low bail for a man facing homicide charges who was accused of plowing an SUV into holiday revelers in Waukesha, Wisconsin. At least five people were killed Sunday when the vehicle tore through a Christmas parade in the Milwaukee suburb, leading to the arrest of the man, Daryl Edward Brooks, who's 39. Brooks has a decades-long criminal record that includes arrests for sexual abuse, drugs, battery, and domestic abuse, records showed. Uh, One of the incidents, the most recent incidents, uh, the woman alleged to be the victim in that incident was the mother of Brooks's child. And court records allege that Brooks punched her and then later ran over her with his car in a gas station parking lot. The documents say police noticed dried blood on her face, a swollen lip, and tire tracks on her left pants leg. Brooks posted a $1,000 cash bond to secure his freedom on November 11th, uh, the court records showed. So, gosh, the, this just, it didn't have to happen. And it, it's a shame that he was out. It is so tragic. And when I first heard of it, I was wondering if it was going to be another terror-related incident. This is, of course, just as bad. It's horrifying. It's sad. It's yet a reminder that in the midst of the the happy clappy of Christmas, which I love Christmas and 
can often sing It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. It gives me all the feels that we have Christmas for a reason, and it's because that our world and our hearts are broken by sin, and we needed the Savior to come to us. We need Emmanuel, God with us, to come rescue us from our sin and to come and start the process of making all things new, reconciling all things to himself. So it's just, yeah, it's just a tragic incident that reminds us of why we really do need Christmas. Absolutely. And there's been conflicting stories. I I think I've heard at this point like three different reasons for, for why or three different scenarios. One was he was involved in some sort of knife fight. There was another one that he was evading a domestic dispute. He was trying to get away from that. And and then most recently I heard, no, neither one of those are accurate. So, I mean, this is still very much unfolding. And you're right. When I first learned of it, I thought, man, this is just like what happened in France or in England, uh, where individuals have used their cars as, I mean, essentially weapons of mass destruction and, and, and trying to take down as many people as they can. And so... Uh, we definitely need to be praying uh, for the folks in Wisconsin who have had their holidays uh, completely upended. Okay, so this final story comes to us from the Journal Inquirer up in Manchester, Connecticut. And it's about Thanksgiving travel. It is expected to approach pre-COVID levels. As the Thanksgiving holiday approaches, officials are expecting the number of turkey-minded travelers. <laughs> gobble, gobble. <laughs> Turkey-minded travelers to be much more than last year, but not quite at the pre-pandemic level from 2019. AAA is predicting that 53.4 million people will travel this Thanksgiving, which is up 13% from 2020. This is within the 5% of pre-pandemic travel levels from 2019. And according to AAA, the rise is a result of lifted pandemic restrictions and increased consumer confidence. Well, I know one person who won't be hitting the road for Thanksgiving— my co-host, Lindsay Nicolay. Why? Because of the just sheer <laughs> carnage she <laughs> That's experienced a good way to put it. <laughs> uh, with her last road trip just a few weeks ago That's to Disney good... World with her children. No, I didn't go to Disney World. And so World. you may not. Where did you go? I went to Florida. Okay, we just went to Florida. Not everybody goes to Florida goes to Disney <laughs> well, World. Well, whatever. But you're, basically your experience, you came back from that so chastened from – deciding to venture out of your home, you actually may never leave your house. It's a wonder you have made it to the studio this morning. I will never leave my house with two children, particularly my oldest, until she is probably five again. I mean, I will never travel because it was just a a nightmare. Now, we do want to go to Disney World, but our rule, unlike our co-worker, Marie Delf, who is a Disney World expert and can take her kids at whatever age, uh, our rule is that they have to be at least five. No naps, no fit season of life, no tantrums. So, yeah, with the traveling, the flying was not bad. My kids did great. The being in somebody else's space and my daughter being so interested in everything was just of nightmare proportions. So, sorry, grandparents. We're never coming to visit you again in Florida. You'll have to come to us. <laughs> <laughs> well— Grandparents, they they probably, I mean, know, mammals you, and papals and love coming to see the grandparents. Have you not had a nightmare travel experience? You have three kids very close in age. Well, no, we learned our lesson very early on with our with our firstborn. Uh, six weeks after she was born, we tried to. Uh, my wife was just kind of getting stir crazy. I was like, you know, what? I have to go to this Republican meeting uh, over in Charlotte, North Carolina. Let's just drive over there. Well. 
Yeah, that was a mistake uh, because, you know, what what is a drive of, you know, a few hours ended up turning to, you know, the better part of a day. And then on the way back, there was an ice storm. Uh, so we ended up in a hotel right outside of Clemson, South Carolina. Uh, and we're just like, what, what, are, what are we doing? Why did we try to do? So we've just applied the lessons from that uh, mistake that we made to extend to our, our three kids. So, yeah, we just don't. We, we try not to do – we don't call them vacations for a reason. Oh, they're, no. They're just family they're, trips because yeah, yeah. all the things you have to do for your children, you just do them in another location. And many times the things that you need are just not in you the convenience. Yeah, yeah. They're and, not in the convenience space yeah. when and you're And you can't contain your kids the way That's that right. you can at home. So, yes, this That's is right. – it's not a good idea. So if you're expecting to see Lindsay Nicolay out on the road, you probably need to make those plans beginning at about 2035. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Lindsay, that's your look at This Week in Culture. Well, thanks for that rundown, my turkey-minded co-host. Now it's time for the lunchroom, where we will tell you what we're talking about with each other. Brent, what do you have on this Thanksgiving episode? Well, uh, President Biden uh, did the age-old tradition of pardoning turkeys. And with that comes, I mean, as we've already heard in this episode, reporters and headline writers, they love their Thanksgiving puns. And so, perfect example, New York Times, boosted, not basted, Biden pardons two turkeys in Thanksgiving tradition. Peanut butter and jelly were selected based on their temperament, appearance, and, I suspect, vaccination status, the president said. And then the lead uh, from the New York Times, there are few rituals in President Biden's Washington that the coronavirus has not touched, that partisan contagion has not warped, and that a collective sense of American exhaustion has not endangered. But the cheesy, just-because tradition of the presidential turkey pardon, it is alive and well. So, yeah, the half-hour turkey ceremony, complete with its bad puns and dozens of White House officials and their families looking on, seemed like a throwback to another time. And that's what makes me appreciate it. And that's, that's what I'm bringing to the lunchroom this week. I'm bringing the West Wing Butterball Hotline episode. Uh, which is a great all-time episode of The West Wing. In fact, we probably have mentioned it before at Thanksgiving. Uh, but it's just so good because fictional president Josiah Bartlett calls into the Butterball hotline uh, and asks about, you know, whether it's appropriate to cook dressing in the turkey or not. And hilarity ensues. <laughs> so that's that's what I'm bringing. To the, I'm, bringing I'm bringing back a classic. I think I do remember that. And, and the lady on the other line did not believe him, right? That <laughs> it was the president of the United States. <laughs> no, 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 what? no. That's from the American. You're getting your Sorkin. <laughs> oh. You're getting your Aaron Sorkin created. What was that from? That was from the the movie, The American President. And he calls into the oh, forest shop. Oh, Here, President Bartlett <laughs> tries to be, was it Smitherton? I, I can't remember. <laughs> Or maybe he lives on Smitherton Lane. I I don't I don't. Okay. Anyways, yeah. But it's a it's a great. So we'll we'll link uh, to that yes. in the show. We'll notes. have to go back and watch it. Yes. Uh, well, I have number one a report on the new Adele album. You know, I talked about Adele and the new song, and I started listening to the album, and it it's a little weird to me. So we'll have to see if I like it. It's not exactly what she used to. Uh, Put out there. So if you haven't bought it yet, then wait. You should listen to it before you actually buy it. It's different. 
but she can sing. There's no doubt about that. What's what, what's different about it? I just it's a lot of it is slow. It's very heartbreaky, which I feel sad for her for her, her what she's walked through in the last six years since her last album. What did she walk like a divorce and oh. different things like that? Um, yeah, it's just interesting. So we'll see. It's got a different feel to it. Mm. But I did want to let you know about two Thanksgiving type songs that are out there. One by Ben Rector called the Thanksgiving Song. It's so good, and you should watch the YouTube video. And then another by Matt Boswell. He sings it with Matt Papa. Oh, give thanks, and it's a Thanksgiving hymn. So we, people like Brent Leatherwood, move on to the Christmas music right away. But he just totally overlooks thanking the Lord for things. So. He doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving very well, so I'm trying to help him add some of this music to his repertoire. (laughs) I think I celebrate Thanksgiving (laughs) really well, and I think that Christmas music is the appropriate way to celebrate the coming of our Lord. It is. It's true. And do it with a heart of gratitude. Yeah, we'll add this to your list as well. I will. Actually, I've heard a lot of people talk about uh, the Ben Rector song, and I now I can't wait to check out Matt Boswell's just incredible. And so yeah, I'm gonna be listening to that. Maybe maybe I will add it in to my Christmas Spotify list. Brent, you should add those to your Christmas playlist on Spotify. And you know, it's probably a good time to end this uh Thanksgiving episode. And it's a good way to to end this would be to tell you, our listeners and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ how thankful we are for you, how thankful we are for coming back each week and for listening to us, for laughing along with us, and for standing beside us as we together contend for the kingdom and as we seek to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And we hope that you have a very happy Thanksgiving. Just a reminder, you can find links to all of the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. And in addition to listening to this podcast, be sure to check out our other ERLC podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday, and its host is Jason Thacker, who is one of the leading voices on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy issues that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sobolik. Search for The Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Thank mm-hmm. you.